0: Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. We're in our series called Unleashed. We're taking some time to, uh, we're finding freedom from things that keep us in prison things that keep us in bondage. And we're not talking about, you know, the things like coronavirus or or the force outside forces that keep us in bondage. We are talking about the things that keep us in bondage right here between our ears, the prison in our mind. Uh, that's after, you know, talking with so many people over the last few months, the, the things that we sense over and over and over, these common things that people get tripped up, you get stuck. You ever feel like, I haven't really progressed in my walk with Christ in a long time. These are some of the things that that really we could point to as responsible for this, and today we are going to talk about something I think is very, very important, and that is the bondage of addictions. When it comes to addiction, uh, I heard a quote one time, and I kind of think, I'm starting to think it's it's kind of true, that there's two kinds of people, uh, people who have an addiction and know it, and people who have an addiction and don't know it people who just don't know what their addiction is. That may not be everybody exactly, but uh, but an addiction is anything that has mastered you, that has controlled, has you controlled, uh, which means that, you know, most, most of us would admit, yeah, there's something that I am wrestling with in my life for control. You know, we all have things that we wrestle for control, and there's others of us who are in bondage to something and might not even realize it, right? And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit brings that to our understanding as well this morning, if that's you. There's all kinds of addictions. You know, there's the addictions that we all think of when you say the word addiction, the big ones, you know, the drug addictions. There's illegal drugs or prescription drugs. That's a growing problem epidemic in America today, opiates and prescription drugs. There's an addiction to alcohol. You could be addicted to gambling and those kind of things. You could be addicted to um, illicit websites and the behavior that goes along with that. I'm choosing my words carefully because, you know, we have kids in the room, if you know what I'm talking about there. How many of you know somebody who's addicted to control? right? <laughs> Some of you are going, yep, and, and that might even be me. Uh, you know, if, if you're a control freak, that can be an addiction. Uh, do you know somebody who's addicted to control, right? Don't raise the person, the hand of the person next to you. That would be a control freak move. Uh, don't do, uh, how about work? You know, how many of you uh, find yourself addicted to work? Anybody conduct conference calls on vacation? Um, I've got a couple friends that I have to call out, you know, when they do that. Some of us are addicted to working out. I know it's hard to believe looking at this physique, but that's not one of my addictions. <laughs> I, I probably need to be a little bit more uh, attached to that, but I don't. Anybody addicted to technology? If so, raise your iPhone. I mean, raise your hand, amen? Uh, we can be addicted. We can. You ever t- check your phone while going to the bathroom? You might be addicted to technology. Don't raise your hand on that one. We don't need to know that about you. Um, you can be addicted to food. That unfortunately is, you know, something I know something about. You can be addicted to gossip. You can be addicted to Netflix. There's all kinds of things. Um, you can be addicted to drama. I think I know some of those people. Many of us struggle with addictions, right? But the real trouble comes when these addictions then take us to places that we never intended to go. No one ever intended to say, no one ever said, you know, I have this remarkably bright future. I just got accepted to the college of my dreams. I think I'll get addicted to opiates. Nobody ever woke up and said that. Nobody ever said, you know, everything's going really great in my life. I think I'm going to smoke a cigarette, become a chain smoker, and get lung cancer. Nobody ever said, that sounds like a plan. Nobody ever said, you know what, my spouse is terrific. My kids are awesome. I think I'll become addicted to those illicit websites and just destroy my marriage and my family. No one ever said these things, and yet it's so easy for us to let our addictions take control, to let our addictions take us places we never intended to go. Even the Apostle Paul admits in the Bible that there are parts of his life at times that seemed out of his control. We don't exactly know what he's talking about here, but uh, we know something had control over in Romans chapter 7. He says, for I do not do the things I want to do, but the evil thing I do not want to do, this I keep on doing right? How frustrating is that? Even the Apostle Paul knows what it's like to end up somewhere you don't really want to go and doing things you never intended on doing. But fortunately, God doesn't leave us there, does He? He doesn't leave us there. He loves us, and He has, he has hope for us. In Galatians, Paul, St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom He has set us free. For freedom's sake, He has set us free. And then He says, stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of Slavery. This is good news. You were, you were meant to be free creatures. God created us with the intention for us to be free. You were not meant to be controlled or lorded over by any man or thing. But the problem is we do. We find ourselves there all the time. Here's the good news, though. When we do find ourselves in bondage to addiction, whatever that is, God doesn't give up on us. When we hit bottom, He's right there waiting for us, to catch us, and then sometimes we redefine what bottom is and we hit a different bottom. You know what I mean? He's going to be right there. And then when you hit that next bottom after that, He's still right there. He's so faithful. He is always right there. However far down that rabbit hole you go, God is there waiting for you to help turn things around if you'll let Him. The simple idea that runs through the Bible is that God is in the liberation business. Isn't He? Amen. We're going to look at a couple of stories today. I'm really excited about this. We're going to look at a couple of stories, and then we're going to look at some steps how to, how to find some freedom. Um, first one we're going to look at is in ch- the book of Matthew, in chapter 4. This is right towards the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And uh, most of you guys here today, uh, you'll all y'all recognize this story. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And it says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, yeah, he probably was. (laughs) I'm guessing after 40 days and 40 nights, if I were fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I might be a little peckish after that too. So here he is. Now, here's the cool thing we're going to look at. Anytime you see a number in Scripture, I want to offer you a really cool tip when reading the Bible. When you see a number, circle that 40 there. Uh, when the writer is telling you a story, they often throw in a number. The question to ask yourself is: Okay, is this just a random number here? Because in the Jewish mind, uh, especially which the ones who, who write the scriptures, when the numbers were unbelievably significant. And so you wouldn't just drop a 40 here or there, you know, just a random, you wouldn't just say 40, yada, yada, yada. Because to the Jewish mind reading this story, those who were reading the story of Jesus, they would go, oh, wait, 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 40, 40. Oh, this story is actually about something else. And so their attention would be piqued. Often the writers, especially in the stories of Jesus... They want you to see what Jesus is doing, but they also want you to see what He is the larger picture of what He's doing. He's doing something in the larger picture of, of history. So, we've, here we've got Jesus hungry. He's hungry. He's being tempted in the wilderness. He's gone without food for 40 days and nights. And so, there's something larger going on here. So, hold your place right there if you've got your Bibles. Flip back about 1,000 pages, about 1,300 years to the left, and we're going to be looking at Exodus 15. Exodus 15. The story of Scripture is the story of a God who just refuses to give up on his people. That's the Bible. In Exodus, we're told about this tribe of Hebrew slaves in Egypt whom God hears their cry. He rescues them for the purpose of creating a new kind of humanity, a new community, a kind of people who are going to live in harmony with God and be His ambassadors to the rest of humanity. Kind of like He kind of wants this tribe, this Israeli tribe, to be His priests to the world, to represent Him. And so what does He do? He calls them out, He blesses them, and He says to them, "'You guys are my treasured possessions.'" I'm going to show the whole world through you what I'm really like. And so he rescues these people from slavery. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 19, it says, when Pharaoh… So Pharaoh's the Egyptian ruler who owned these slaves, right? When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, which means Pharaoh no longer owns these slaves, right? They're now really, really free because their slave master has just caught a bad case of death, okay? He's gone into the sea. They so they, they, they come through the water. Here we go. The, water, uh, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. So they come through the water, having had this word of blessing spoken over them, and they're now free in their new life. Now, the very next scene, the next verse is a verse in chapter 16. And so the whole Israelite community set out from Elim, and came to the desert of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai, which is where Sin comes from, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, I think, remember that, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat. That sounds pretty good. The Hebrew word for that is Barbecue. We ate all the food we wanted. (laughs) This is my kind of afternoon. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So they grumble and complain. See, God has just miraculously rescued them. He's brought them through water, which over in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul likens to a baptism, just in case we're a little slow to catch on what's happening here. And God says, you're my people. You're my children. I'm going to take care of you. And they end up giving up one form of slavery for another form of slavery that centers around food. They'd be given the special blessing, a special divine task, and they get pulled off track by their appetites, by their cravings here. Um, Later in his life, Moses uh, is looking back on this episode, and he is reflecting on the story of the Israelites, which is really the story of all of humanity. And he's thinking about this propensity of people to get sidetracked from their calling by their appetites and their cravings. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that your Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert, these 40, (laughs) 40, to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. Verse 3 says, he humbled you. He's talking about God. God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. The simple the simple idea here is, is that life is not just about getting our cravings taken care of. It's not just about satisfying urges. There's a whole other dimension to life. It's not just about getting all of my physical wants taken care of. God has promised to take care of us, but we can live on a completely higher plane. All right, let's thumb back over to Matthew 4 now. All right, we're jumping back 1,300 years into the future. Here we have Jesus. Now, it says He spent 40 days, where? In the wilderness, so, right there, the first people who are hearing this story about Jesus are going, oh, wait, 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 oh, 40 days, 40 days in the wilderness. Oh, well, this is about Israel. That's what the, the Jewish listeners would have said. Jesus is back in familiar territory here. In verse 3, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Mm, the Panera temptation, I know it well, right? <laughs> bread. So, the devil comes to Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness, right? And there's this temptation involving food. Go figure. So, immediately, these first listeners are going, oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, this is about the failure of Israel to live up to their calling. Okay. This isn't just about Jesus. This is the story of all humanity. This is about everything that's gone wrong since Adam and Eve gave up their calling over food, right? The human propensity to get tripped up Distracted, sidetracked by our appetites, by our cravings, and fail to be everything that God wants us to be. In verse 4, Jesus said, See if this sounds familiar. It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We just read this, didn't we? He's quoting word for word from Deuteronomy the words of Moses that we just read, which immediately connects him to that story. Jesus has, has taken the Israelites' story of leaving Egypt and their great failure, and he's essentially putting it on his shoulders. And he's saying, they failed, but I won't. Amen? The story of Jesus in the wilderness is really the story of Christ succeeding where humanity has failed. He's saying, they didn't pass the test, I will. There's something that sustains me beyond my next meal. There's actually a God in whom I trust. Now, something else is interesting when he says this right here. When he says, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, he's quoting Deuteronomy, which we just saw, but he's also referring to an event that just happened right before this. Over back one page in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Just before this happened, Jesus goes to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist, right? And there's a little argument there. John the Baptist is like, no, I'm not worthy. I can't baptize you. And Jesus is like, no, do it. There's this really cool thing that's going to happen. You need to do it. And so it says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, all right? Now, right before the Israelites are tempted by food, what do they do? They've crossed the water. So Jesus comes through the water. The Israelites come through the sea. It's the Exodus story all over again. They, the Israelites failed. Jesus Jesus is succeeding. At that moment, heaven was opened, which is always good, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven that sounded like James Earl Jones said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. That's the best I could do. Jesus, like the Israelites, he's passed through the water, okay? He's blessed by God, this divine Voice of God says, This is my son. I love him. He has immeasurable worth. I'm pleased with him. He's my child. This is my boy. So remember what Satan says to Jesus just 40 days later. He comes and he says, Well, if you're the son of God, God just told him he was the son of God. So Satan comes along and says, Well, if you're the son of God, So, the temptation here isn't just about bread and stones and hunger and aren't you hungry. This is really about trust. Do you trust, Jesus, that the word that God spoke about you is true? That is what the devil is saying here, that God has really called you, that He's actually enabled you to do this, that you're really God's Son. It's all about trust. At the root of addiction is an issue of trust. The struggle of addiction is an issue of trust. God has spoken a word over every single one of us. That is the word that comes from the mouth of God, you. He's spoken a word over you. It's a word that we're supposed to live by. And the phrase the New Testament Scriptures uses is being in Christ, right? God's promise, His promise that Every single one of us have a divine calling. That you have a divine you have a sacred holy life that God has called you into. You're called to be a co-creator with God. You're called to be an ambassador for the kingdom. You're called to be an image-bearer of God. Image-bearer. He says that you are loved and that you have immeasurable worth. And so my question for us this morning is do you trust this? Do you trust this? Do you trust when First John says that we are, each of us, a child of God? Do you trust that when First Peter 1 says that we're redeemed, you are redeemed, when Philippians 2 says that we're united with Christ? Do you trust when Ephesians 2 says that we've been made alive, raised up, seated with Christ? Do you trust these words of God over you? What the Scripture insists over and over and over is this, that God has blessed you, that He has spoken a word of acceptance, of love, of worth, of purpose over you. In God's mind, that is the true you that He made you to be. And so our invitation is to live in Christ. Do we walk into that calling? Do we step into that? The story of humankind, as we could see from Genesis on, is that people like you and me, we're people with a calling, but we have these appetites and these cravings that, that pull us off track, that pull us off course. We listen to our doubts, whether we're really called, whether we're really equipped for this. And so there's, there's our true self, who we really are, and then there's all the ways that we get tripped up by our cravings, and we never live in, the, in, in this image that God says we already are created in. So are we going to put our cravings before the Word that God has spoken over us? Or do we truly trust Him? Do we truly trust Him? So, this morning in the time we have left, I want to give us some some sound biblical stepping stones to help lead us into freedom. Whether you're dealing with a, a chemical addiction, a substance addiction, or something like that, or just something behavioral, habit, whatever it is, I believe these are going to help us. And and our first step is the same step we started with last week when we were talking about unforgiveness, and that step is repentance. Repentance. To repent. That word repent, it means to turn your gaze, to change the place you're looking into a new place. Change your focus change your mind, the, the thoughts that you're having here to change, to turn your face in a different direction. But implicit in, in repentance is also receiving God's forgiveness, isn't it? And this is so important. One of the biggest steps for anybody who's addicted is realizing you don't have to pay for your own sin. See, this is huge. This is huge because, see, shame uh, shame is beating yourself up for just being the loser that you are. That's what it tells you. And, and it just reinforces the whole addiction cycle. And a lot of times we think that, that, that we can shame a person out of their stuff, right? And, and some, of, you know, some of us might have been guilty of that. Somebody we love, we see is bound to something. And so we try to shame them out of it. And we're just like, what's wrong with you? But actually it tends to have the opposite effect, especially when it comes to addiction. You can't shame people out of addiction. And this is the devil's strategy, basically. Some of you can relate to this. You go along, you hit a pitfall, you have one of those bad days because bad, bad days come, pitfalls come in life, and you're all stressed out one day. You could use one of those dopamine fixes, right? Dopamine is that chemical inside your body. God created you with it. And whenever you do something pleasurable, your body gives you a little hit of dopamine, right? Whether it's like eating a really delicious burrito, or, you know, having a date out with your spouse or something like that. You know, you have a great time and you hit the dopamine fix, right? And, uh, and so what happens is you're having a really low day and the devil comes along and he says, hey, I got what you need. I got your little dopamine fix here. Just pop this pill, took this joint, shoot this up, whatever it is. Click on this website. You're going to get a really nice buzz and you won't feel bad anymore. And so you go after, you take the bait, you take the pill, you push back the bottle, you eat the cake You click on the website, whatever it was, and you feel great for a moment. And then, bam, he pounces on you and says, what a loser you are. I can't believe you did that. Right, man, you gave it. what, What a miserable piece of crud you are. You just give in to that temptation. You don't have any backbone. What a scuzz. You call yourself a Christian hypocrite. Aren't you miserable? And you're like, I am miserable. And he goes, well, I got a little hit of dopamine for you. Here's what you do. You need two pieces of cake this time, right? You need whatever it is. You need two pills. Pop, pop, pop. And so you're miserable, and you take it because why not at this point? And then you feel great for a moment. And then he pounces on you. You miserable scumbag! I can't look at you. You do that. You're not worth anything. He pounces on you. Excrement, loser. You're miserable, and you're like, I am miserable. He's like, Well, I got a little dopamine for you, right? And the and and this is the shame trap. It's a treadmill. And the only way off the shame treadmill is you get off, you, f- you take the first step by crying out to God and repenting and inviting His forgiveness and His love to flood into you like an ocean. Amen? You get your face off of the lies that tell you what a worm you are, and you fix your eyes onto Christ, the eyes of Christ. And when you repent, this is important. I, I-, I think I make this point uh, every week, but I think it's important. It's a revelation to some of us. When you repent, the Bible tells us you receive His forgiveness immediately because it's already forgiven. We got to get this. It's already, the Bible tells us it's already forgiven. He is desiring to embrace you, to flood His love into you. He wants you to just accept it. You can't pay for your own sins, amen, because they're already paid for. There's no double jeopardy. You don't got to pay twice. When you repent, you turn your face toward him. You're clean. Christ's righteousness, his, it, it says his righteousness is imparted to you. You're forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That's how far the sin is away. And what else is amazing is with God, nothing is even wasted. Even that time when you were in bondage, that's not wasted time. Because God didn't make you addicted, but he can bring good out of everything. He turns that time into something valuable, right? I mean, this is the God who brings flowers out of dust. So, he, he He can take all your funk, and He uses that as fertilizer to grow beautiful flowers, right? This is our God. And so, that's why in the kingdom, folks, there's no shame, there's no condemnation, there's just people finding forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ, amen? The first step, though, is to repent and to be bathed in His love and forgiveness. The second step is to trust in Jesus Just rest in His love. Trust in Jesus. Kicking addiction is tough for anybody, right? This is not a simple thing. But as a follower of Jesus, you have a tremendous advantage, and that is knowing Christ. Because on those days, on those tough days, when you honestly can't see yourself making it to the end of the day sober, based on your own willpower, Jesus Christ not only gives us a motivation for sobriety he he gives us the ability to stay free he gives us the ability paul says this in second corinthians 3 now the lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is guess what freedom yeah god is in the liberation business he is really into freedom for you and me but like everything else that we've been talking about in this series there's a god part and there's a you part right and this is where faith comes in. This is where trust comes in. Remember what we said faith is. Faith is that vivid image of what you hope before you actually see it come to pass in, in real life. That vivid image. You get that vivid You start getting a, a, a vision of yourself. Imagine yourself a month from now free from this thing, or a week from now, or however long. Free from this bondage. These three things remain. Faith, hope, love. And, and so faith, we set our faith on Christ and what he says about you. And then what do you do? You allow that identity, as you're rehearsing that, you're envisioning that, you allow that identity to encourage you and birth hope inside you where before there wasn't even hope that you could ever be free from this. And then you watch his love transform you from the inside out. Faith, hope, and love, they work together. You are created in the image of God. You have unsurpassable worth. And, and Jesus thought you were worth dying for. Isn't that awesome? Amen. He thought you were worth dying for. And when you begin to see that you are a king's kid, and you were born for royalty, and you were destined for greatness, and that God finds you absolutely beautiful, you aren't garbage, and you don't belong in slavery. It's not what you were created for. The love of God can do what nothing else in the universe can do. Laws can't change you. Medicine can't change you. Threats from hell can't change you. Religion and jumping through religious hoops, none of that is going to change you. None of that will fundamentally change you from the inside out. The only thing that can really change you from the inside out is the most powerful force in the universe, and that is putting your faith in the love of God that's revealed in Jesus on that cross. You put your faith in that love. It sets the captives free. breaks the chains. Amen. Now listen, we know it's not going to be easy, is it? It's not going to be easy. You remember last week when we were talking about unforgiveness, sometimes when you forgive a wrong done to you, we said it can feel like a kind of death. This is going to feel the same way. When you turn your face, when you repent, when you turn your face from that addiction, which up until now has kind of been like the source of life for you, it's helped you hang on every day, When you turn your face away from that. It can feel like a kind of death, but it is a death that leads to resurrection. Amen? And as you're lying there, as you've said no to this thing that is calling you, it's lying to you, it's promising that little dopamine fix that we need, you just imagine Jesus there with you, holding you, loving on you because He adores you, He's proud of you, and you see Him right there holding you. He's saying, you're not going through this alone. Jesus says, I'm always with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And you just let that love surround you and be your peace. Amen. Then the third thing, we got to lean on others. Don't try to go solo. Don't ever try to go solo. In the kingdom, everything works better with community. And in fact, that's how God designed us. God designed us. You're part of the body of Christ. He says it over and over in Scripture. When we try to do it alone, and there's a lot of reasons we try to do it alone, let's admit it, right? It might be through shame or pride or vanity or embarrassment or whatever. When you get alone, you're vulnerable. That's a fact of nature right? Turn on National Geographic Channel and you see that. When you get alone, you're like a wildebeest in lion country who's gotten away from the tribe. You're in trouble. You're like a soldier on the battlefield with no backup. I get it. It's embarrassing. No one knows that you're popping the pills. Nobody knows that you're hitting those websites when nobody's home. No one knows that you're hiding the bottle underneath the car seat just to deal with the kids because they drive you crazy. You're thinking, oh, everybody thinks I'm, I'm, I'm a great, upstanding, perfect, wonderful Christian who's got their act all together. Let me just assure you, here at Generations, we pretty much know you don't, right? <laughs> People who see themselves as having their act all together, they, they don't really last long here. They, they usually leave. We know you don't got it all together. So that's just a lie of the devil. Don't let that stress you out. See, shame needs secrecy to thrive. That's its power. Shame needs secrecy. But it's the truth that sets you free. Amen? Speaking the truth out loud, giving secrets no more place to hide, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. Now, now, when it comes to addiction, there's a lot of other steps um, that you might need to take. The most famous program in America is the 12-step program. There's a lot of steps, and that's a great, great program. I believe in it. But you might be somebody, uh, for instance, you might need to look around at the, take a look at the people in your life. Who maybe aren't influencing you for good? You might need to cut ties with those people. You might need to remove yourself from situations and places that lead you to addictive behavior. Um, if you have an addiction looking at impure images, right? You need to change how you use your computer or your phone. If you have a, a gambling addiction, then you need to. There are certain places you cannot go. If you have an addiction to alcohol, there are just certain functions you cannot attend, right? You just can't do it. You may need to go beyond just the support of your your friends and your family and join a support group. That could be very, very helpful. Get professional therapy, big believer in that. There's lots of other steps that could be good for you, and and God can give you wisdom of what to do that you can take advantage of. But these three things that we're talking about today, to repent, to rest in Jesus, to rest in that trust, and lean on fellow disciples, these are going to help you get to the root of the spiritual issue going on, and it's going to help lead you to freedom. Amen? This morning… Do you have cravings, appetites, lusts, urges that are getting in the way of everything that God wants for you, that are keeping you stuck? Do you have tendencies to just want to escape, to numb yourself, to avoid, to indulge? Right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is moving in you. He's moving in the place. Encouraging you to say, I need to leave that behind. I need to leave my Egypt behind. Because we're sons and daughters of God. We're called to an amazing calling. The story of the Exodus is is our story. It's in the Bible for us. It's our story. Jesus has come along to give us a better story. We don't have to end up like the exodus ends up. Jesus gives us a better story. Jesus gives us hope that we really can turn our back on what's holding us back, what's holding you from something great, your appetites, your cravings, your addictions. Envision what your life could be. Set your faith on things above. Make the decision, I am leaving my Egypt, and walk into that freedom. Amen. Can I pray for you this morning? Will you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. Father God, we come to you right now. Lord, we are helpless without you. Without you, we, we can't do this. We're constantly tripped up by our cravings, Lord. We repent for all the ways that, that we've, we've failed to trust what you've said about who we are, Lord God. We've put our trust in some temporary measure. Lord, help us to trust in you. Give us the strength where we have none, Lord. Lord, may we catch a glimpse of what our life could be. May we look to Jesus who took all the failures of humanity on His back and said, I'll take care of it. I won't fail. May we step into that, living in Christ. Dear God, help us to surrender to the strength that is not our own. Help us to live not by bread alone or by our own abilities, but by every word that comes from your mouth, Lord. And that word is that we are your children. We're the blessed. We're the chosen. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn all of his favor towards you and his peace in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Join us this Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.